Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I'll be saying a lot more about that classic uh, anthem that we sing at this time of the year. But first, let me introduce to you our, our church-wide um, project this Advent season. If you've been part of Chapel Street for a while, you know that every Advent season, we choose a Serve the World partner somewhere in our local community or in the world uh, to bless uh, with a gift. And last year, we chose a ministry called Naomi's House, and we set a goal of $200,000 above and beyond our regular giving just to give away to that ministry. And due to your generosity and the generosity of so many others, we, we exceeded that amount and gave almost $300,000 to Naomi's house last year. This year, our ministry partner is a ministry called Caring Network. It's an organization featured in the video that you're going to see in just a moment. Uh, Caring Network is a Chicagoland-based ministry that focuses on women who are considering abortion and equips them to choose life instead. In these centers, Caring Network provides ultrasounds and counseling and alternatives, including adoption and parenting. So this season, uh, during Christmas time, our goal is to raise $250,000. Again, that's above and beyond what we normally uh, give uh, to fund the next two locations in our area for Caring Network. And this Advent season, we're encouraging every Chapel Streeter, every Chapel Street family to pray about this important ministry. It's an incredibly timely time in our nation uh, to be involved in this kind of ministry and consider making a gift that is above and beyond your regular giving. So to do that, you, you can go online or use the app and just choose Serve the World. Uh, that, all the money that goes to Serve the World in December will go to Caring Network. And other monies you give obviously goes to our general fund or our regular giving. There are also Serve the World uh, boxes in the back. If you, give in, if you give today with a check or something, just write in your check, Serve the World. And that's how we'll know that money is intended to go to our partner, Caring Network. So let's take a moment and watch the video that's been prepared for us. As a family, we were always at church. Every Sunday and youth groups and Awana. But I don't think I had a relationship with God at that point in my life. In fact, I don't think I had a relationship with God until I, until the hardest point of my life. I mean, that's how God works, right? So then when I went to college, you know, not at home, not going to church, not walking with the Lord, not making good choices. When I found out that I was pregnant, I was depressed, basically. Just so upset. Crisis is what I would consider that as. I thought, well, I'll just make this problem go away. We'll never speak of this. She said, I will give you that referral. But first, I want you to do one thing for me. I said, okay. She said, I want you to go to CareNet, is what it was called at the time. I, I want you to go there because I really feel it's important that you know what all your options are. I went there. I was able to speak with Lisa. She had a plan, and the plan was not to be a single mom, not to have an unplanned pregnancy. This doesn't fit in with where I saw my life going. So abortion was what was going to solve that problem for her. She just gave me the freedom to just kind of talk it all out. I didn't feel any judgment whatsoever. Just the ability to freely talk about my concerns. The concerns about parenting were more like 
social concerns of like, my parents are gonna be disappointed, my church family is gonna be scandalized. I was hesitant to tell them because I wasn't married. I mean, what a disappointment that would be. And I just thought it would be so shameful. He did the ultrasound, and it was at that point that I realized that I saw my son's beating heart, and I realized he's, he's a real person. And so it was at that point that I realized I was going to be a mom. So in the ultrasound room, she seemed kind of softened, like she was receiving this gift that God had given to her that previously she was going to refuse. I remember the doctor saying something to the effect of, these are your parents. They're going to love you forever. Just tell them. And now that I'm a parent, that is true. He's 13 and a half now. He is in track and cross country. He wants to be an engineer. He's a good kid. My life is so much richer with my son in it. When he leaves in the morning, he writes me little notes. I think that's, that stuff is priceless. So when I first found out I was pregnant, it was just a problem that I needed to address. I needed to fix it. And then making the choice to parent. The, the stark contrast between then and now, then I was single, now I'm married with more kids. Now I have a great family. Now I have a husband who's adopted my son, all because of making that one hard decision 14 years ago. I can't picture my life without him. Like, I don't even remember who I was 14 years ago. God is so gracious and good to me. I have a lot to be thankful for. What a great introduction to the Caring Network, our uh, partner in ministry for this uh, Advent season. Uh, what a great story to hear, just one story. We'd like to be part of many, many more stories like that as a church family. So thank you for being part of our efforts this Advent season. 
I want to begin today with a question. Here's the question. So when does the Christmas season really begin for you? When does the whole thing really kick off and start gaining momentum? Is it when uh, the marketing advertisements first show up at the end of September? Or is it when you first start hearing Christmas music on your car radio as you drive around? Maybe when the first inflatable Santa or snowman shows up in your neighborhood. We've got a few of these in our neighborhood. Or is it when the reruns of It's a Wonderful Life start on TV? Well, for our family, uh, for years, uh, the Christmas season officially begins the day after Thanksgiving. Because that's when we start to decorate. Now, I just need to say something here. I love Christmas season. I love everything about it. I love the music. I love the lights. I love the decorations. But there ought to be a universal Christmas law prohibiting any decorating or playing of Christmas music before Thanksgiving. How many agree with that? Universal law, right? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm not judging. Not that much anyway. The only exceptions to the universal law of Christmas would be if there happens to be a really unusually warm day prior to Thanksgiving and you can get out and set up your lights outside without freezing to death, you can do that. that that's a special dispensation. Or if you have to, have to travel over Thanksgiving week, then you could start setting up ahead of time. But you cannot plug the lights in. You can't turn anything on because that's the universal law. No, just no. But on the day after Thanksgiving, when we do begin the decorating, that's when the expectation would always begin. I think you would agree that Christmas is a time of expectation. And the definition of expectation is simply a strong belief that something is going to happen. A strong belief that something is going to happen. When our boys were growing up, that expectation, that strong belief was about the brightly wrapped gifts that were beginning to accumulate under the Christmas tree. Day after day, that anticipation would grow and build until Christmas morning when they would wake up prior to 6 a.m., prior to 5.30 a.m., just almost vibrating with excitement because that's what expectation does. And there's nothing more fun than being able to come up with a gift that somehow even exceeds a child's expectations, a gift that both surprises and delights. I can still remember running downstairs when I was, I don't know, uh, nine or ten years old on Christmas morning as a boy and finding a Johnny Astro space station under the tree. Now that was an awesome toy, if you know how that works. Christmas is all about expectation. And expectation always brings excitement. Expectation always brings a sense of waiting. And then the result is joy. We're in a second week of an Advent series we're calling Carols of the King, and we're looking at the great Advent hymns, uh, carols that we tend to sing year after year, and we're looking more deeply into the great story that they tell. Last week, Pastor Jeff uh, talked to us about, uh, about Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and this week, if you've not already guessed, our song is Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus. A little bit of a background on this great hymn. Some of you may know this. This may be news to some of you. This all-time favorite was written by, anyone? Charles Wesley, correct, in 1744. Can you imagine writing something that's still being sung 277 years later? I wonder if Wesley had any idea of the words he was writing. Now, Charles Wesley was the youngest, uh, youngest son and 18th child of his parents, Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Can you imagine Christmas at the Wesley household? 
I was going to say something about, well, no. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you may be more familiar with his older brother, John, who's considered to be the father of uh, Methodism, but Charles is considered by many to be one of the greatest hymn writers who've ever lived. He wrote over 6,000 hymns, including many we still sing today. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and can it be, and hark the herald angels sing. We're going to look at that one in a couple of weeks. And Wesley was inspired to write this particular hymn while meditating on a rather obscure verse out of the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. And in the King James Version, how he would have read it, it reads like this. And I will shake the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now at the time, uh, Wesley had been especially burdened by the brokenness and injustice and pain he saw around him, particularly in the suffering of the orphans he saw in the great cities of England and the class divisions. And he longed for God to do something to make things right again. And at first, this verse from Haggai doesn't sound much like a Christmas verse, but in this verse, Wesley saw two equally great promises of God. One was the promise of a child born to save the world from its sin. And the second was the promise of an eternal king of heaven who would return a second time to make all things right again. So let me read again the words we've heard sung and we've sung ourselves. Two verses of this hymn from 1744. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. As I was uh, studying this past week, I found one preacher who was uh, doing a similar kind of sermon, and he found in these two verses 16 theological truths that could be taught. Now, since I'm not used to preaching 16-point sermons, we're going to just pull out three themes today. First, the long-expected one. The long-expected one. Perhaps the, the greatest example of expectation in most of our lives is uh, the birth of a child. In fact, that's how we refer to a woman who is um, carrying a child. We say she's expecting. Or we say a, a couple's expecting. We've had two births in recent weeks right here in our Chapel Street staff. I want to share them with you. Uh, Luca Scavato was born to Judy and her husband, Joe, Pastor Joe Scavato. And there he is. Now, you may know that Luca was born some 10 weeks premature. He was 3 pounds, 6 ounces at birth and still in the NICU at uh, Central DuPage Hospital. But he's doing well. He's gaining weight. He's up over 6 pounds now. And hopefully Joe and Judy will receive their son back home with them before Christmas time. And then just two weeks ago today, uh, Kylie Joy Caterer came into the world, the beautiful daughter of uh, Jenny Caterer and her husband Matt, granddaughter of Gordon and B. Schulenberg. Now, both pregnancies, if you know, were high-risk pregnancies, and our whole staff family had joined together during those months with the Scavados and the Caterers uh, in expectation. 
and join together in longing for and praying for the safe arrival, the healthy arrival of these precious little ones. And if you've experienced the birth of a child, you know what I'm talking about. You know that expectation produces excitement, produces waiting, and then joy. Or maybe you've waited for a son or daughter to come home from the armed forces somewhere in the world. Or maybe you're a Cub fan who waited 108 years for a World Series. Or maybe you're a Bears fan. Well, let's not talk about that right now. The ancient Jewish people were a people of expectation and waiting. For centuries, they had waited for the expected one, the one they called Messiah, a king who would rescue them from the curse of their oppression and injustice and death. Some 400 years earlier, the prophet Micah penned the words that we read moments ago as we began the service. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. 700 years before uh, the birth of Christ, the great prophet Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he is to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Familiar prophetic text. So when Wesley wrote, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, he's acknowledging the centuries-long expectation and the centuries-long waiting of Israel for their promised Messiah, for the coming of a king. And what they were waiting for was deliverance, a political and economic deliverance. They expected a great king like King David who would restore Israel to greatness and prominence and throw off the oppression of their enemies. But God exceeded their expectations. In many ways, our world today, in 2021, still waits for and longs for a kind of deliverance. The world looks to politics for something better. The world looks to economics, to education, and all those things are good but they don't provide deliverance. God exceeds those expectations. And I believe it's also true that every human heart, every single person on the planet longs for something better, longs for something greater to put their hope in, longs for something more true, something to bring hope and peace and assurance. And Wesley's hymn echoes the biblical promise that in Jesus God exceeds all of our expectations, exceeds all of our hopes. Because we move then from the long-expected one to a long-expected Savior. And that's the second point we see in this great hymn. A long-expected Savior. Over Thanksgiving, uh, just last week, uh, Lorena and I traveled to the island of Malta, of all places, uh, to visit our youngest son, Canaan, who is living there while playing uh, professional basketball. In fact, he's playing a game right now. Uh, Malta is a town. How many of you know exactly where Malta is without me showing you? You right off the top of your head know exactly where it is. Well, we re really kind of didn't. I knew it was, you know, over there somewhere. Uh, I, I, I think I knew it was an island. 
I knew it showed up in the Bible. But Malta is a tiny island in the Mediterranean Sea, just south of Sicily, and not that far from the northern coast of Africa. And it's actually mentioned in Acts chapter 28. That's where the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked on his way to Rome. He was bitten by a snake there, did not uh, die, and then ended up preaching the gospel to that island. And there are churches all over uh, Malta today called St. Paul's Cathedral, St. Paul's this, St. Paul's that, because he brought the gospel to that island. And we had a great visit with our son in the days we were there, but our travel to and from was not quite so smooth. Let me just cover part of it. Uh, on our return trip, we're supposed to take about 15 hours, a two-hour trip from Malta to Istanbul, Turkey, and then about a 13-hour trip from Istanbul uh, to Chicago. Simple. As our plane approached Istanbul on the first leg of that journey, about 30 minutes out, we noticed the plane began to shake and waver and swerve because there were high winds, evidently, really high winds, which we didn't know about. And as we came down to land in Istanbul, the plane is shaking so badly that we were hanging on to each other, uh, and it was frightening, and we could hear people getting sick in the back of the plane. Some people were crying out in fear every time it would, it would dip like that. And we got within what looked like 20 feet of the runway. And that pilot hit the engines, and he aborted that landing and pulled back up in the air. And I've never seen that in all my, all my years of flying. I've never seen it. I asked one of the flight attendants later, I said, how often does that happen? And she said, almost never. So maybe that pilot made a decision that saved our lives. I don't know. But he took off again and flew us all the way to Ankara, which is a different city an hour away. And there we sat on the runway in the plane for four and a half hours, waiting for them to get word to where we could go from there. Just sat on the plane. No food, no, well, they had this little, like, chocolate muffin thing. But people had kids and people got angry. People were frustrated because they were trapped. And finally, we flew back to Istanbul late that night, having missed our flight, spent the night in the airport. I'm sleeping on the floor. My wife's on the couch. And we made it to the morning and finally got home. A 36-hour trip that was supposed to be a 15-hour trip. We were stuck. No way to escape and had no power to change our situation. We felt like we were captives of Turkish Airlines. Wesley writes, Come now, long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let, us. let us find our rest in thee. In this verse, Wesley points out three ways in which the long-awaited Jesus saves. First, through Jesus we are saved from sin. In Matthew's version of the birth of Jesus, when Joseph uh, hears word that Mary is expecting a child that he knows is not his, he has in mind to divorce her quietly. But an angel of God appears and says to him, in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, to be saved from something means you are in some kind of danger, that you're in a situation in which you have no recourse on your own to save yourself, just as we couldn't do anything about our situation being trapped on that plane, on that runway in Ankara, Turkey. We were completely dependent on someone else. You can't be saved from sin until you recognize that you're being held captive by sin. Now, it's not hard to look around us, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world and see that the world is captive, in some sense, to what the Bible calls sin. In other words, we just see things that are wrong. Terrible news about the, another school shooting in Michigan just this past week. Or abortion seen as a solution to unwanted pregnancy. 
or the sex trafficking, trafficking of women and children around the world. It's not hard to see something's wrong with the world, but it's often a bit harder to see that sin is also a personal problem, that it dwells in us as well. Uh, we had a celebration the other night uh, in, the, uh, in the student center part of this building for our, our fall rooted classes. I think we had nine groups go through rooted and we're celebrating that, and they were, they were sharing some, some faith stories uh, that evening. And one uh, woman stood up and said that when, when the time came to share her story in her rooted group, she said, I was nervous about sharing my story with the group because I was afraid people would think I'm a sinner. She said, but then I realized I am a sinner. But I know that Jesus loves me and that he saves me. And by the way, that's why baptism is such an important celebration in the life of the church and the life of a, an individual believer. It's so important. Every time we baptize someone, we celebrate the great story that Jesus saves us and we identify with his death and res- resurrection and he saves us into a new life, no longer held captive by sin. It's also hard to, for us to see sometimes that we are captives, in a sense, to our culture. We live in a culture, I believe, today that over and over again, in so many ways, <coughs> tells us that we can save ourselves. That if we don't really need God, we don't really need religion, uh, we can determine what's right and wrong for ourselves, we can determine our own identity, we can determine our own truth. All we need is a little more money, a little more education, a little better, some better government policies, and we can fix what is wrong with the world, and we can fix what's wrong in us. Paul wrote to the Galatians in the New Testament 2,000 years ago in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, we were enslaved to the cultural voices around us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Through Jesus we are saved from sin, Wesley says. Secondly, through Jesus we are saved from fear. From fear. I was actually working on this sermon on those plane flights as we headed back from Malta. And I actually thought about this phrase in this hymn while we were clinging to each other, to each other and that plane is, 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 is wobbling through the air uh, trying to land. And I have to admit that there was moments when it struck me that it was possible that there was going to be disaster. And I, I felt fear. I did. I felt some fear. We live in fearful times today. For nearly two years now, we live with the fear of COVID. For two decades now, we've lived in the fear of terrorism ever since 9-11. We fear the outcomes of elections. We fear even sometimes the direction of our whole country. And yet, the great hymn proclaims, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. So how does the advent of Christ... Release us from our fears. On the very night of his birth, Luke tells us that the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. Luke chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What is that good news? Fear not. God is with you. Emmanuel song from last week. Fear not, your sins are forgiven. He will save you from your sins. Fear not, your eternal destiny is secure. 
And this means that whatever your situation today, whatever struggle or pain or trial you might be facing, whatever loss you're experiencing, Jesus wants to release you from that fear because of his promise. And thirdly, through Jesus we are saved for rest. Wesley writes, let us find our rest in thee. In Hebrews we read, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works, his works as God did from his. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. There you will find rest for your soul. This rest is now, it's present because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it's also yet promised to us through the promise of eternal life and eternal rest in the presence of God. And then notice Wesley's words, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Every word in that stanza is intentional. He's telling us that the promise of deliverance, of salvation, first came to Israel. That's way back in the Old Testament, through the promise of Messiah. But it's also the hope of all the earth. It's the desire of every nation, and it's the joy of every longing heart. So Jesus came not just for the Jewish people in the Old Testament, not just for first century uh, Jewish people, first and second century Roman people, not just for the Greeks, but for 21st century Americans and Turks and Russians and Australians and South Africans. You get the point. Jesus came in Wesley's view and in the view of Scripture for the whole world. And finally, we see the third part of the hymn is a long-expected king. Long-expected Savior and long-expected King. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from the God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And listen, and he will be great and will be kept called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice all the royal language. Saying that Jesus, the promised one, is the long-expected king. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of Messiah. He's come to establish a kingdom that will never end. But notice where his rule begins in Wesley's mind. Born to reign in us forever. And then notice the ultimate manifestation of his rule. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. So he comes to rule in us by faith, to dwell in our hearts by faith, and he intends to bring his eternal kingdom once and for all at the end of all things. Now here Wesley's pointing toward the kingdom that is yet coming when Jesus returns as our conquering king of heaven. And Jesus will then establish his long-expected kingdom. Now, if you're paying attention, Wesley is touching sort of all the Christological bases here. Uh, 
the, the expected one who will come, uh, the expectation of a savior uh, born to release us from our fear and sin, who rules in our hearts with truth and grace, but also the expectation of a king who is yet coming to rule forever in the new heaven and new earth. It's all there. Now, as we prepare to close this service, we're going to share time at the Lord's table with the, with the bread and cup of communion. I want to point out something to you that, that maybe we, you haven't thought about, I haven't thought about in singing this hymn year after year, that it's really a prayer. The whole hymn we just, sent, we, we just looked at is a prayer. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Properly understood is a prayer. It's actually the same prayer that ends the entire story of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, the apostle John writes, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's a prayer of longing. It's a prayer of expectation. It's a prayer of waiting. It's a prayer of faith. Come. Come with all your holiness as the Son of God. Come with all of your grace as the Savior who forgives our sin. Come with all of your authority as King to rule in us and to rule forever. And when we pray this prayer, when we sing this song, we must understand that Jesus did not come into this world to give us a nice cultural holiday. Jesus didn't come into this world, take on flesh, to give us more Hallmark movies. Thank heaven for that, huh? Or to give us country music Christmas specials, or the holiday spirit for a few weeks out of the year when we're all nicer than usual to each other. All those things are good, but that's not why he came. Jesus came to destroy sin and death in the world. Jesus came to inaugurate a kingdom that would never end. A kingdom that against the gates of hell would not prevail. A kingdom that would look at the orphans of the world, that would look at the unborn children of the world. A kingdom that would care and share his love and grace with the world. He came to destroy sin and death. And he's coming again, he promised, to recreate all things, new heaven and new earth. He came to fulfill the promises of scripture. He came to fulfill the desires of nations, to fulfill the longings of every human heart. And our prayer is that he be our expectation this Advent season. May he fill our waiting, and may he fill our hope, and may he fill our hearts with his joy and his expectation. Will you bow with me as we come to the Lord's table? Lord God, we thank you today for your word and the great truths that we remember today. I thank you for a man like Charles Wesley, who used the enormous gifts you gave him to write such words of inspiration and truth that we still sing them centuries later. And as we come to your table today with bread and cup, remind us again of your promise to deliver us from sin and fear. Maybe once again pray from the depths of our hearts, come, thou long expected Jesus.